on today's episode of the Yoga 360 podcast. Your breathing is something you do a lot. It's a really comforting thing. You know how to breathe, you know how to inhale, you know how to exhale. In your darkest, darkest moments, you're still breathing. So at the end of the day, if you are wanting to make small changes in your body, changing your breathing subtly is a really good way to do it. This is the Yoga 360 Podcast. We bring you knowledge, inspiration, and resources to help you live your best life. We connect with students, teachers, and experts from the community to both educate and have fun conversations from the heart. If you enjoy the benefits of yoga, value your health and well-being, and enjoy connecting with others, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yoga 360 Podcast. I'm Steve Cotton. I'm Karen Amy. Tonight, Karen and I are going to be discussing breathing as part of your your um, yoga practice. Yeah, this is one I've wanted to do for a while because I think breath is a bigger part of our practice than we think. Like a lot of teachers say breathing is the only thing that's not optional, um, but I think it's about a lot more than that. So we're going to get into that today. Yeah, it's going to be one of your most important components to your practice, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the benefits of mindfully breathing and channeling your breath are something that really carry off your mat. Uh, So it's something that I like to encourage people to focus on a lot. Okay. And before we get into the contents of this episode, I just want to draw attention that uh, our show here has now surpassed 800 downloads and listens. So thank you very much to our listening audience. It's very appreciated. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And if you ever have something you'd like to hear from us, please do let us know because we would love to deliver on that. Okay, that being said, we're going to get get going here, and I think uh, a good place to start is an anatomical explanation as to what's going on in the body when we're breathing. Yeah, and I think I want to clarify, too, that that's basically where we're going to start and stop with our discussion today. There's a lot of things about breath. Like, you can talk about breathing on a cellular level. You can talk about it in relation to chi and prana. Um, There's a lot of different things, but we're going to talk and stay very firmly within the realm of the anatomical aspects of breath and what's happening internally when you breathe and how to apply that to your yoga practice. So it's it's a narrow focus, but an important one. So do you know what happens when you breathe in, Stephen, (laughs) when you inhale? (laughs) Well, I know we take in oxygen. Yes, yes, you do. And that's very important. But I think a lot happens as well. So let's start by just talking about like some of the anatomical parts of our body that are involved in our breath. And I think the big one that comes to mind are lungs. (laughs) And lungs are certainly bigger than I understood prior to starting training and things like that. Do you Mm -hmm. know how big lungs are, Stephen? They're pretty big. I know you Googled this and you were quite... uh you're quite astonished with the answer that you got. Yeah, I dropped an F-bomb in the lobby because I was like, that's crazy. Uh, (laughs) So apparently the surface level of both lungs combined is the size of a tennis court. There you go. Which is insane to me. Um, And then all the the airways and things within your lungs are over 1,500 miles if you laid them out end to end. So there's a ton of stuff happening in there and they're huge and you have so much room naturally to inhale and to expand. Um, So your lungs are big. Uh, I, <laughs> now, is that for both lungs or just one? One is bigger than the other. I'm not going to lie. I forget which is which, but they're, <laughs> they're very rarely perfectly even. They're, they're going to be a little mm-hmm. bit different. Yeah. Do okay. you know the answer to that one? <laughs> I'm trying to think, and I, if I was uh, just to guess off the top of my head, I would think the right. I would think the right one's bigger, personally. 
But we're going to Google this and we're going to add this into our show notes because that's not something that either of us researched. So we'll find it out after we record. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but your lungs are big. <laughs> so I looked for some landmarks of them. And if you feel your clavicle, so that bone that sticks out in some of our bodies. And we're both of, doing this right now. Yeah, so. feeling our clavicle um, sort of just below your top of your shoulder, I guess, and comes in towards the middle of your body. Uh, your lungs come up that high. That's where your lungs start. And then they come down low, like more than halfway down your rib cage. So if you can feel your ribs, the ribs you can feel, uh, count up probably two or three ribs. And that's like the bottom of your lungs. So they're huge. (laughs) Uh, They do get bigger and smaller depending on whether you're inhaling and exhaling, but they're big. Um, Underneath the lungs is your diaphragm which I think everyone knows we have a diaphragm and we talk about it a lot, but it is a huge muscle and it is a strong muscle. And basically your diaphragm is umbrella shaped and it sits directly underneath the lungs. So when you inhale, your lungs expand, but they need room to expand and the Mm -hmm. diaphragm's right underneath them. So what do you think happens when you inhale to your diaphragm? (laughs) Your your diaphragm is going to drop. Yeah. So your diaphragm, when you inhale, actually contracts and pulls down. So the image that I like is if you picture your diaphragm like an umbrella, because it is kind of umbrella shaped in your body. When you inhale, it's like when you're holding an umbrella and the wind flips it inside out. So Mary Poppins. Yeah, exactly. So the top part of the umbrella is now the lowest part and the the fluted out parts of the umbrella are now higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is what happens to your yeah. diaphragm when yeah, you the inhale. The ribs of the umbrella. Exactly, yeah. This is what happens to your, your diaphragm when you inhale. So it pulls down. It makes more room for the lungs to expand. And uh, we will include this image in it, but I found an image that showed how much they move and i've seen videos as well but it's the space of like three or four ribs that's how much your diaphragm lowers and heightens depending mm, on whether yeah it's, that's interesting i didn't know that it moved that much it's, it's so much yeah. um at the same time your ribs move so your ribs will expand when you inhale and this is supported by your intercostal muscles which um thread and support your rib cage And they just help to enlarge your chest cavity in general. So they're not just pulling your ribs out wide. They're pulling them out front-wise and back-wise as well, as well as helping to open through the chest. So it's just giving more, like it's turning your chest into a barrel. It's giving more room for you to fill with all that sweet, sweet air. And that air becomes more sweet in the middle of a hot yoga class, I think. (laughs) (laughs) When you exhale, the opposite happens. So the diaphragm relaxes. Uh, It contracts so that there's less room for the lungs to expand and it moves up and towards your chest cavity. The same thing happens with your intercostals, which are around your ribs. Uh, They relax, which means that the chest cavity contracts and pulls Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Uh, So you can even feel this now when you breathe in and breathe out. You can put your hands around your rib cage to do it and like inhale, exhale. And you can feel how much movement there is there just with that. And it happens all the time. So it's not just your lungs and your diaphragm that are moving when you inhale. So take another inhale now, wherever you are driving at home, just take an inhale and pay attention to your shoulders. They draw back slightly, don't they? Mm -hmm. Like I watched Stephen's shoulders in studio. Now exhale, Stephen. What happens to your shoulders? Yeah. Did you feel that? Yeah, they round forward. (laughs) Yeah, they round forward. So I think this is where we want to go with this is when you're in a yoga class, we often will talk about inhale, do this, exhale, do that. There's a reason for it because the, all these things are happening in your body and they lend themselves to certain postures. Um, so I want to go and uh, start with cat-cow because that's pretty simple to me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Stephen, can you describe cat-cow for us? 
Okay, uh, you're on your hands and knees. Yeah, so shoulders over wrists, hips over knees. And all four tabletop position. Exactly. So from that all fours position, what happens to make it a cow posture? So you inhale and your belly drops. Yeah, exactly. And the inhale supports this, right? So think about this. You're making a cow shape. So you have a deep back bend in your spine. You gaze up slightly towards the ceiling and your tailbone lifts, but your belly is relaxed. So when you inhale, your uh, diaphragm is contracting. It's engaging and pulling down, making more space for your lungs to expand. Your shoulders come back and your chest opens up. So you're already coming into cow just by inhaling. The opposite of that is cat pose. So what happens in cat pose, Stephen? <laughs> in cat pose, you, you, uh, you press down through your hands, mm-hmm. you arch your back, mm-hmm. and you bring your belly up. Yeah, exactly. So and I like that. You bring your belly up because really you're rounding your spine towards the ceiling. Uh, but it's really important that you have that core engagement. And that mm-hmm. is so much easier when you use your exhale. Yes. So when you use your exhale, your diaphragm goes back into the normal umbrella shape. And as it does this, all your core muscles are engaging. So it's easier to do that. It's easier to lift up and round up. And automatically on your exhale, your shoulders are relaxing forward. Back of your neck softens a little bit. And so you're already halfway to cat just by breathing out. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a an exaggeration of the natural kind of process that your body is doing there, yeah. with, there especially with your shoulders, right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, how you were saying that how they draw back mm-hmm. on the inhale, but on the exhale, they track forward yeah exactly and i like to use that sometimes when i'm teaching particularly yin so for instance from a butterfly shape which is you take a tall seat you make a diamond shape with your legs soles of your feet come together in front of you i'll say something like inhale lengthen up through your spine so just think about those words in conjunction with what happens when you inhale your diaphragm comes down it's that inside out umbrella Mm -hmm. makes more room for your lungs so you're already finding more length than you had before you're already opening a little bit and then on your exhale you round forward gently so automatically your shoulders are coming forward your belly button's coming a little closer to your spine because you're expelling all the air you have and then keep doing that so inhale lengthen forward again Exhale, belly button to spine, round down a little bit more. And you keep doing this until you melt yourself closer and closer towards the ground. Um, So going step by step like that is fun sometimes. You can sometimes use your breath intentionally to really mess with you as well. So have you ever done opposite cat cow or backwards cat cow? I'm I'm sure I did that a lot of times unintentionally. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when I first started. Yeah, I've absolutely done it too. Or maybe maybe I even did that last Wednesday class. I don't know. It's, it's totally possible, and teachers will teach it that way sometimes intentionally, uh, partially because it messes with the brain, but partially because it's going to heat you up a little bit more. So think about this. As you do cow pose, your belly relaxes, your chest comes forward, your shoulders come back, you look up. Now imagine trying to do that on an exhale, so you have no air in your body, your diaphragm is in an umbrella shape, and it's everything in your chest cavity is compressed. So how difficult it must be to open through your chest yeah, when we, that's happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see it being a lot harder. Yeah, and I think the opposite, especially for me, is even more difficult. So if you are inhaling, your diaphragm is in the inside-out umbrella shape. The lungs are expanding. You have so much air in your chest cavity, and it's that big barrel. Now try picturing being a cat like that, how hard it would be to angle your spine to bring your shoulders forward when you are full of all that sweet, sweet oxygen. I think it would be counterproductive. 
counterproductive is a strong word. It does, it'll build heat in the body because it's harder to do. It's, it's more difficult to do. It also helps you to focus. It it draws your focus into your body because it's weird. Um, even Mm -hmm. if, as you said, you probably did it accidentally at the start, you probably felt that it wasn't right. Okay, sure. Do you, do you yeah. remember that by any chance? <laughs> no, I don't. But, <laughs> okay. But that's but, a good way of explaining it, yes. Absolutely. Like, it's contrary to what your body wants to do. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. If something doesn't feel right, maybe check in with your breath. See if maybe your breathing could be a, changed a little bit to make the posture work for you a little bit better. And you can apply this to more active postures as well. So as of recording time right now, our Sun Salutation A episode just released on Thursday. So we know that as you move through a sun salutation or Surya Namaskar A, or maybe you might just call it a vinyasa, um, but that sequence of postures that you do 27,000 times in a vinyasa class, you intentionally breathe in different shapes. And 28,000 if Candace is teaching. (laughs) Exactly. Because Candace. Candace, Yeah. So as you're moving through that, the breath makes it easier to do each of the steps. Think about it. As you inhale, you lift your arms above your head and find length all through your body. This is easier if you have a chest full of air. As you exhale and forward fold, this also becomes easier if there is less length through that portion of your body, if your ribs are a little more Mm -hmm. contracted, yeah? Um, And then the one that really gets me is the plank and cobra or up dog. So think about being in a plank. Shoulders over your wrists, legs long and straight. You are making a staff with your body. It is one strong, straight line, and mm-hmm. it is not easy. It works like everything. Uh, where do you notice planking your body most when you're when you're practicing it? What's working the hardest? Probably the core. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and so your breath supports that. When you are moving through a sun salutation, you come to the top of your high plank, and then on an exhale, you lower halfway down. So think about if you did that on an inhale, if you had a chest cavity full of air and you had a bit of a natural rounding through your upper spine, it would be really difficult to keep that one hard staff from your heels to the crown of your head, mm-hmm. right? So the exhale makes it a lot easier. Plus, when the diaphragm is in its normal umbrella position, there's no more air left in you. Everything contracts a little bit automatically. So again, you're already halfway to engage in your core. And in fact, breathing out really strongly is a really good start to just strengthening your core. It gives some core strength, mm-hmm. okay? So exhale, lower halfway or all the way in a sun salutation and go slower than you want to and use your exhale for that, right? The longer you exhale, the more you're going to engage, the more strength you can pull from that. Because as we all know, when you get to sun salutation 26,592, you need all the help you can get, Mm -hmm. right? And then think about going to the next one. So inhale to a cobra or an upward facing dog. Um, I think you always do upward facing dog, don't you? I typically do a full, full vinyasa. Yeah. In, and in the cl- classes that are offered in the studio on the Friday nights, there's the um, the yin yang mm-hmm. class. I, I tend to take that one as a more more chill, more mellow practice. Mm-hmm. So on that one, I will do the um, kind of the half expression. I don't know if that's the correct <laughs> w- way of. Correct is a strong word, but knees knees down, half expression, yes. sure. Why not modify yeah, it yeah. is a good one. And there's nothing modified, wrong with yes. it. I will say I modified. 99% of my sun salutations. I have done a full one recently, but it was like one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, I, if I want the practice that night to be more intense, then it'll be a full 
expression mm-hmm. of sun salutation. Mm-hmm. If, it, if, if I don't want it to be it, then it will be that modified version. Yeah. Right. So most of the time you do an upward facing dog in your sure. sun salutation. Yeah. So can you describe upward facing dog to me? What's happening in your body when you do it? So from the plank position, you bend your elbows and you go down to 90 degrees, like halfway of a push-up. Roll forward onto the tops of your toes. Press forward. Shoot your chest through and extend throughout the top of your body. Yeah. So the tops of your feet stay on the ground. But other than that, you are making like a graceful, I want to say almost letter C in some bodies. <laughs> from your toes all to the crown of your head. And we're both drawing Maybe letter a J. C's. Yeah, Maybe a J. J. Sure, a sure. J. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, but a big, big back bend. So let's focus on on that key part. When you are in that halfway push up, your arms are at a 90 degree angle, your elbows are held in towards your ribs. And you're thinking like, how the heck much longer can I do this? Because I'm pretty sure it's not long. You need every bit of help you can get. So think about what your inhale can do there. Already, if you're at that 90 degree angle, your hands are planting, clawing into the mat, your elbows are into your ribs. If you inhale, your diaphragm is coming into that inverted umbrella shape your lungs are expanding your ribs are expanding your chest is already shooting forward to use your word your gaze is already going to come up a little bit and you're already going to lift and i think that's one of the i'd say really strong tendencies in people moving through sun salutation a is rather than doing that and staying strong there's a bit of a collapse so the lower most of the way down but maybe their chest will almost be at the mat and maybe as they inhale and lift up their chest their belly will even touch the mat and then they have to lift it back up again but if you use your yeah yeah. i've 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 seen that happen i've also experienced that yeah yeah i have too and when that happens to me that's generally my sign that a full chaturanga is not in my cards today and that's okay Mm -hmm. because you need that strength yeah yeah when i tended to notice that in myself it was when i was recovering from uh, shoulder surgery yeah so i didn't have a lot of the range of motion or or the strength at that time to do a full expression of uh, chaturanga or sun salutations yeah or even the energy really um but i'm guessing you probably weren't even breathing as deep after your surgery is that something you noticed i didn't notice it but but possibly yes makes sense right Uh, So your breath helps you with this is what I'm saying. So if you are in your halfway push up at the bottom of your exhale, everything is engaged rather than letting yourself collapse and lay down. If you use your strong inhale to lift your chest, shoot it forward, find that back bend. It's just supporting the shape there. On my end of things, I usually practice cobra. So my knees are on the ground. I lower all the way down to the mat until my chest is flat on the mat. This takes strength as well. You inhale, your chest comes up, shoulders come back, you lift. But I think sometimes what happens is people press their hands into their mat and kind of, rather than a J shape, shall we say, or that curve, it turns into like a sharp angle because they're not lifting as much as they could. But if you're inhaling and your chest cavity is turning into that big barrel, that's already open for you. You're already halfway there to lifting more of your upper body than you would if you were just sort of shoving yourself upwards. Mm -hmm. If that was happening, would, uh, would the person be pressing more than they should as opposed to lifting? Yeah, I think so. So using less strength. It's like pressing with their arms to get that lift at, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually lifting with your back muscles. Exactly. And I'd almost okay. say it's more difficult to get that in Cobra because in Up Dog, you have to use strength to be in the posture. Sure. Right? Yeah. In Cobra, you don't. You could just sit there, press your hands into the mat to lift yourself up. Um, but, you know, don't cheat yourself out of the strength that comes from it. There is a way to make Cobra more difficult than Up Dog, really. Uh, so if you want the work from it, it's there for you if you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I think that's a short sort of not so short summation of how your breath affects your body as you're moving through postures, but notice what's happening as you move through your practice. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about twists as well really quickly. Sure. So twisting, we do a lot in yoga and it's super important for your body. Think about when you twist and maybe even just where you're sitting right now, take a really, really big inhale. Let your lungs fill, your chest cavity inflate and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now try to, t- try to twist to the right, even a little bit with that full chest cavity. Is it comfortable? And Stephen's doing this in studio. Did that feel good, Stephen? With a full, a full uh, chest of air? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, I think... It partially feels good for me because my shoulders are nice and open, but I certainly can't twist as far as I normally can. And I certainly don't feel as supportive as I normally do in a twist. Uh, And it's just difficult. Mm -hmm. So when you twist, do so on an exhale and come to the bottom of your exhale. So exhale everything out. Let your diaphragm go back to its natural relaxed umbrella shape and engage every single part of your core and then come into your twist and notice how much farther you can get. And I'm literally watching Steven in studio. You yep. went like 10 inches further. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it, how did it feel? A lot easier. Yeah. Less restricted. Yeah. Less restricted. So again, just like we talked about I'll call it backwards cacao. You can twist on an inhale and make it more difficult for yourself if that's your intention. Mm -hmm. And you might even have a teacher guide you to do that on purpose. But know that it's making it more difficult uh, and you could make it easier for yourself by exhaling. And and it's going to create more heat in the body. Absolutely. Yeah. And so as you're exiting out of a twist, same thing. Do so at the bottom of your exhale when your chest cavity is at its smallest, you're engaging your core as much as you can, and then come out um, partially because it's going to be easier, but also partially because that will have more support for your spine and be safer. Let's hear from Stephen for a bit. So Stephen, I know you've practiced jujitsu for a long time. Do you have any sort of um, stories or like experiences using your breath in that practice that might transfer over? Well, one of the things that I've experienced very early on in my training, one of my first instructors uh, taught us a a form of of breath that that he called a combat breath. And really what it is is uh, just a very forceful exhalation. can be either one or two. Mm -hmm. And it's a breath like this. Yeah. And immediately just by doing that, I felt a a very sense of calm. Interesting. Come over my body and I can feel it. Definitely within within my lower abdomen mm-hmm. as well, too, where your diaphragm is going to be located. Mm-hmm. And what that does, it just acts, as, acts like a, an, an immediate re, uh, reset mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. So in, in a situation where you notice where your, uh, your heart rate and your breathing is getting away from you, mm-hmm. especially in very intense situations, sporting, competition, or combative situation, kind of where the name of that comes from, it can definitely help you. Yeah, and I think Bikram Yuli's listening to what you just did would have said, hey, I recognize that because you do that Mm -hmm. in the Bikram practice right before you do the sit-up. Yeah, so I think part of it is to get rid of everything in your body to make it easier to use your core and get your upper body off the ground, which is a struggle most days for me. (laughs) Um, But I think, too, there's some some truth in what you said that exhaling everything out, making room, and just hitting the reset button is important. Yeah, because... Right after those forceful exhalations, your inhalations are now going to be more regulated. Yeah. After that, so. And it's interesting. That reminds me of music things. So if you haven't listened before, I have a past life as a musician, and I played a lot of wind instruments. So um, breath work has been important in my life for a long time. 
when you're playing orchestral music in particular, um, and especially on a wind instrument, breath is important and you don't always get to pick when you breathe. And if you know you have a particularly long passage of notes coming up that you have to play, you have to set yourself up for success. So one of the ways you do this, if at all possible, is to take a really long exhale, like a slightly dramatic exhale and get rid of everything. And then in the beat or two before you have to start playing, then you suck in all the air you can plus a little bit more so that you can make it through that passage. Mm-hmm. So it's almost the same thing. You're getting rid of everything and hitting that reset button, setting some common to your body before you suck in the air and you have to make it through that passage. And I think you have mentioned how breathing is used more at large in traditional martial arts many times, and I always forget the words you use. So can you explain to us how that happens? Yeah, yeah, you're referring to what's called the ki. It's sure, yes. So go on. <laughs> so, so that to anybody that's uh, that doesn't practice martial arts, um, what people generally associate with martial arts practice mm-hmm. is a haya. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's all over me, media and and movies and yeah, you know, it's done. I would say affectionately and like tongue in cheek. Yes. As well too, but it's a very important component of traditional martial arts training. And how so? And how what it refers to is the outward ex- expression of energy from the body. Mm-hmm. So well, when somebody's taking a punch, a, a strike, a kick. Uh, whether or not they're br- breaking boards mm-hmm. or even just doing any type of foundational movement, mm-hmm. it'll generally be accompanied by a, a ki, mm-hmm. which will be either a haya mm-hmm. or a very forceful eight. Mm-hmm. That's very staccato. And it's, mm-hmm. right, and it's very broken at the end of it there mm-hmm. because there, uh, there's a tightening of the body. Right, so even right in your windpipes, so yes. it's tightening, er- yes. Everything constrict. It's f- forceful exhalation followed by a very forceful constriction mm-hmm. and a stopping of that energy because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're projecting that energy outward and then it stops. So once you've projected that energy outward, like what is the status of your body? Is it, is it floppy? Is it engaged? It's, it's, it's engaged and it's rigid. Yeah, and I would say probably just about as rigid as you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... That makes sense. And as I said at the beginning, we're not going to get too much into prana and chi. Like, I want to acknowledge this is real. This is true. We've understood that is real for generations and other cultures. But strictly from an anatomical standpoint, again, it makes sense. Your diaphragm is relaxed. There's nothing left. So you just engage your core automatically. It happens. So you make yourself rigid. And I think sometimes doing it intentionally, like you spoke about, uh, really helps to up that factor mm-hmm. and make you even stronger. So, yeah, carry that into your yoga practice. See what happens. Carry Carry it into your time off your mat. See what happens. And I think it's interesting. Uh, I think we want to talk a little bit too on specific breathing exercises that we do in some yoga classes. So what's the first one that comes to mind for you as a student? As a student, it's going to be ujjayi breathing. Yeah, ujjayi breathing, ocean's breath, or victorious breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so or Darth Vader breathing. Darth Vader breathing is Darth Vader breathing, as Sarah often says. Yeah, um, so. Which classes do you usually find ujjayi breath in? Well, speaking for myself, uh, that I typically do vinyasa. Mm-hmm. It's going to be all over that practice. Sure will, yeah. As well, too. I even find myself doing it in yin practice. Interesting. As well. When do you do it in a yin practice? Uh, kind of when there's any movement. Okay. Right, because, yes, yin is more uh, stationary and more static. Yep. Right. But there uh, there is some, some movement in it, and I, I think that just how I'm conditioned by doing so much vinyasa that that's just something that I do naturally. Yeah, and I think I noticed it tonight because uh, I just finished teaching in class that Stephen took tonight. I think you noticed you did it 
And it's quite audible. Yeah, it's, well, it's well, and I'm paying attention. So, um, but I think you also did it like towards the end of the really long dragon we did, and I think you throughout did it, the dragon. Yeah, yeah, I was doing it. yeah. When things got a little sticky, you went back to that, which sure. I found yep. really interesting. Did you do that consciously? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's just ingrained in me right now. Yeah, because you've practiced this so long across yeah. both your yoga practice and your martial arts practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that breath control can really change your mental approach to your current state. And I think that's something to keep in mind. So Ujjayi breath is a really nice breath um, to help you focus in on your body. Okay, So do Ujjayi breathe. As you inhale, inhale a little bit more than normal and exhale through your nose with your mouth closed and constrict your throat muscles. So when you do this correctly, it sounds kind of like Darth Vader, kind of like a wave. There's a constriction, a little bit of a hissing sound. You can practice this every once in a while, maybe in the middle of a really long dragon posture, maybe in the middle of a really long warrior two posture, or you can practice it throughout your, your entire class. When you breathe like this, um, that constriction, it will be heating. It'll add some heat to your breath. It'll add some heat to your practice, especially as if you keep that constriction and you try to breathe only to your lungs. The opposite is true for probably the breath that I tend to teach more often in my class, which I usually just call belly breathing. Do you have a name for it? Diaphragmatic. Diaphragmatic breathing. That sounds more fancy. Can you describe diaphragmatic breathing to us? Well, essentially, it's just really accentuating your breath with your diaphragm. Yeah. So you want lots of movement in the diaphragm. And how I cue it, especially in a yin class, is to breathe into your belly. So let your belly rise. And then as you exhale, make it long and slow. Doing this will help cool your body, and it will also help to relax your muscles. So think about when you inhale, when you exhale. We talked about how much movement happens in your intercostals, how much movement happens uh, just all throughout your chest cavity. This is because your body knows that your lungs cannot expand if your ribcage, if your intercostals are locked up. Your, Your body knows this. So a really good way to relax your body is to trick it into thinking you have lungs somewhere else. So if you breathe into your belly and make your belly expand, the muscles that support it, so your ribcage, et cetera, your core muscles, they have to be relaxed, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a really good way to make sure that you have as much relaxation in your body as you could. And this is something you can carry off your mat. I use it a lot. I don't know how much I mentioned this in my episode. I, I deal with chronic pain. I'm in pain every second of every day. So if I have a really bad flare up and I'm standing in line at a grocery store or something, I can't really just sit on the ground. Like I can't run. I can't cry. Um, I'll often go back to my breath. You know, I'll close my eyes. I'll have my feet hip width apart. I will take the longest breath I can right into my belly. And that automatically will help my muscles to relax a little bit and take some of the natural tension that happens from chronic pain away. And that's a really important tool in my body, in my daily life um do you carry your breath knowledge to your daily life steven i try to yeah certain aspects like working out Mm -hmm. but also with diaphragmatic breathing it's something that i started teaching in jujitsu as well too cool and and what do you say when you teach it in jujitsu well specifically i draw examples of if you're in a bad position in a sparring match Mm -hmm. or or competition or anything like that uh, then to immediately switch to belly breathing and allow that to to slow everything down for you Mm -hmm. and reset and calm yourself as well. Yeah, it's really important. Um, So another sort of element you can add to that if you really want to calm your nervous system is to make your exhales twice as long as your inhales. 
that sounds like a really strict rule and it doesn't stress me out but I think that's only because of my music background like do you ever get stressed out when you get specific rules for your breathing no <laughs> no M- maybe because you're so into martial arts I'm, yeah <laughs> I'm kind of chill that way so <laughs> yeah I-, I learned um in my latest training I did and just speaking to students that being cued to breathe in a really specific way is super anxiety inducing for some people. Uh, so if that's you, you don't have to follow the exact perfect rule, um, but work towards inhaling for a count of four and exhaling for a count of eight. This will really lean into relaxing your body, calming your nervous system, turning off that fight or flight or freeze mode and it's a really mm-hmm. good thing to do if you feel threatened on or off your mat and and i want to point out too you you can feel threatened your body doesn't know if you feel threatened because of chronic pain or because of traffic or because of a bear walking out at you in the woods your body doesn't know the difference um so treat yourself kindly mm-hmm. and if you feel stressed take a deep breath yeah yeah and that can can also be really good for uh, conditioning wise in like stress management as well mm-hmm. too, right? Because what you're doing there towards the end of that um, that extra long exhalation, you're almost in inducing a sense of panic. Yeah. Within the body, right? That's mm-hmm. manageable. Yeah, it's controlled panic. So it's saying, I know things aren't right, but it's okay. I'm going to take care mm-hmm. of it. So I think because we are mostly a Bikram studio and we have so many of our students who love the Bikram practice, we should touch on the Bikram breathing exercises as well. I'd like to point out I'm not a Bikram teacher, so my take on this might be slightly different than a traditional Bikram (laughs) instructor, and um, I'm happy to be corrected about anything I say for my Bikram instructors here. Uh, But in general, and Bikram is not a regular part of my yoga (laughs) practice, but you know, I'm willing to learn. Yeah. So you do in a Bikram class, every single class you do the same 26 poses and the same two breathing exercises so the first one you do to open the class is pranayama breathing do you remember pranayama breathing Stephen? i remember the name yes <laughs> so to do pranayama breathing you interlace your hands your knuckles underneath this, your chin this one yes glue them there yeah. and then as you inhale you lift your elbows up towards the ceiling and then as you exhale your elbows come forward to touch in front of you mm. and you gaze up to the ceiling So inhale, your elbows come up, exhale, gaze comes up, elbows meet together in front of you. And you breathe in for a count of six and you breathe out for a count of six. And while you do this, you are making that H-A-ha sound, that constriction in the back of your throat, which will be heating. Pranayama also is really good just because it initiates that control of breath. It initiates that connection with your breath and your body. And I think it helps you arrive onto your mat. If that makes sure, sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it creates that connection between what's happening in your mind and, and what's happening in your body. It can give your body the indication that, okay, something's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, like the class is starting now. Exactly. Right? It also starts to increase your heart rate and your blood flow and just really gets you ready for practice. So one of the things that our studio... Um, Sometimes people arrive for class late. We've all done it. And I, I this is without judgment because I am a person that runs late frequently too. But it's really important that you don't miss pranayama because not only are you missing that moment to connect your mind to your breath, to your body, but you're not heaving your body up. You're not getting that heat coursing through your veins. So as you hop into the first few postures, your body's cool. It's hard. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. So get here early enough that you don't have to come in late. You don't have to skip pranayama. And if we say it's too late to join class, believe us when we say that, it's for your safety. Just just go home. 
<laughs> go home, come back another day. Yeah. Um, another thing is during the lockdowns we had at our studio, and there was also times where we were allowed to offer classes, but they couldn't be hot. Uh, the Bikram teachers changed how they taught pranayama a little bit. So as you increase the breathing, it would get faster and faster and faster. You would oh, okay. exhale That's more forcefully. Yeah. yeah, inhale more forcefully, exhale more forcefully. It would happen faster. The speed would increase. So you're generating more heat exactly. as you're doing that. Okay. Exactly. And uh, recently, actually, Candice was on the phone with some tech support, and she wanted to take the class, but she had to wrap it up. So in the lobby, I was watching her, and she did this. She was doing the breathing, and it was so quick. Instead of that count of six, it was more like... <laughs> It was very, very quick, and I hope that doesn't translate badly on the recording. <laughs> My apologies if I just assaulted your ears, but it's very quick. It builds more heat. So that's how you start your uh, Bikram practice. At the end of your Bikram practice, you move into Kapalabhati breathing. I probably said that wrong. That's gotcha. okay. <laughs> I do not know what that is. Yeah. So, well, you've done it before. So you start in kneeling position. You sit Japanese style, tops of your feet are on the ground. You're sitting on your heels. Your hands come onto your knees and your elbows are straight. So your arms are straight. Relax your stomach a lot and then focus on just your exhale in your abdominal walls. So it's... Uh, okay. Yeah. And you do this quite a few times. I think traditionally it's two sets of 60 breaths. For me, sometimes I need to cut a couple of them out, uh, and that's okay. And I think often what you see students doing is trying to inhale, but believe me, your inhale happens automatically. That's what I do, and that's where I lose rhythm. And with, then you start to one. hyperventilate a little bit. A little bit, and then yeah. I'm, well, I'm just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> And that's okay. So again, I mean, I asked you if you ever got anxiety or stressed out. People asking about their okay, breathing, maybe, yeah, but maybe yeah, you do. Maybe I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So something to keep in mind. It's okay if you need to stop. That's not the end of the world. But work towards this because this is a really, really cool breathing that sort of wraps up your practice, ties up your practice. This will release stress and toxins in your body um, and just really help tie a bow on your class that you just took. Uh, with this one, I think what we see a lot are people moving their shoulders a lot, and that's a good indication that you are inhaling. So don't do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. And we talked about this before we started recording, but I think you and I have both had difficulty with this type of breathing for different reasons. So why did you find this difficult at first? I just couldn't get the rhythm. And I, I, and I really think that hearing you now say that your focus should be on your exhale, mm -hmm. I think that's not what I was doing. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people aren't doing. And I think Bikram teachers that just listened got yelled at their radios because I think that's part of the dialogue. That is said quite a lot, that you focus only on your exhale, which it's easy to miss in a Bikram class, some of the dialogue. So you get a pass. Mm -hmm. um, I think the reason it was difficult for me is because I go back to my music background. So if I'm playing a long string of notes, they're like dot, 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 dot. You don't take a breath for every one of those because if you did that, the tone would be really inconsistent. You want your note to be like a straight line. And if you are forcefully blowing into your mouthpiece, it changes that straight line of the tone. You're going to have a modulation in the tone as the note comes out. It's not the same as a string instrument. You have to have a consistent level of air. So to achieve that, you have one long continuous stream of breath and you cut it with your tongue. And that's how you do that. So for me, that's what I want to do to do that. And I'm not used to going, <laughs> it's very unnatural to me. But one thing I 
am good at when I'm doing that type of breathing exercise is keeping the rest of my body still. Because if you're holding an instrument in the middle of an orchestra and your whole body is moving every time you inhale or exhale, again, your notes are going to change. Your upper body is going to change. You're, you're going to get out of tune. It's going to be weird. And it also looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was studying, actually, the guitar players had to do all the same breathing exercises that the wind players did because it's really important as you head through music, even if you're not using your breath, because it's about what it does in your body. Okay, do you want to talk about what's going on in the brain with what's going on with breathing? Yeah, absolutely. So we're all really, really good at breathing. This is something we're really, really good at. (laughs) We do it a million times a day. Uh, And it's an unconscious thing that we do, and it's controlled by our medulla oblongata in our brain. So things that happen in the mandula oblongata largely are, it's the primitive part of the brain. It's the thing that controls things like breathing and those involuntary actions that we do a million times a day and don't think about. It's the shut off part of our brain, right? right? When we consciously breathe, so things like when you said about your combat breath that you learned to do, when we add that conscious thought to what we're doing, it switches it from just the medulla oblongata and activates the cerebral cortex. So that part of the brain is more concerned with balancing emotions and controlling like the more evolved actions that you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, So you're lighting up different parts of your brain and it starts to tie your breath more to your, I don't want to say emotional because it's beyond that, but it's a good way to tap into your nervous system and it's a good way to calm yourself or amp yourself up if you need to. So. Breathing is going to happen no matter what you do, but when you intentionally breathe, it's going to activate more parts of your brain, and that's a good thing. I want to shift a little bit, too, into the science of what happens behind breathing and yoga, and there's a ton of studies about this, but I mostly want to focus on two that a little bit argue against each other. Because we know that in yoga, you do a lot of deep breathing, a lot of intentional breathing, and this is good. It causes the vagus nerve to signal your nervous system to lower your heart rate, blood pressure, as well as cortisol, which we know is the stress hormone. Uh, And even just like taking five or six deep breaths when you're on or off your mat is a really good way to shut off your fight or flight or freeze or fawn mode Mm -hmm. and calm your body down. So there's two studies that I want to touch on here. And the first one is called The Effects of Yoga Breathing Practice on Heart Rate Variability in Healthy Adolescents, a Randomized Controlled Trial. So this was only on healthy adolescents. Those that had any exacerbating factors were eliminated. Um, Even they make a point of mentioning that women who had um, abnormal menstruation were excluded from this study. Just they really wanted to be people that had baseline, really good Mm -hmm. health, no issues, which, as we know, is like less than 1% of our students, I think. We all have some things we're working through, and that's okay. But this is still something interesting to consider. So how the study worked is they had 520 healthy adolescents, and they separated them into two groups. The first group practiced a breathing exercise that was very similar to the pranayama breathing at the beginning of a Bikram class. They practiced that five days a week for six months, and then the control group continued their daily routine and didn't do anything different. So what they found with this is that it happens very quickly. There was a reduction of heart rate, blood pressure, and autonomic function after only five minutes of breathing, of this breathing exercise in the healthy volunteers. Um, And it also shows that it produced parasympathetic domination, which means your parasympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. system took over, so you weren't stressed, or if you were, it was subsided. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that happened very quickly. They do also take a moment to point out that 
despite the fact this was a breathing exercise and the study done only on adolescents, that the benefits of these breathing exercises has been shown to impact people regardless of their age or gender, um, and that it can really help reduce cardiovascular reactivity to stress. So what happens to your heart when you're stressed out? And it induces parasympathetic predominance and cortico-hypothalamomedullary inhibition. A lot of science words. Mm -hmm. So long story short, it calms you down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No matter who you are, it's going to calm you down. Um, Yeah. I think that really comes down to the conditioning aspect of it. Yeah. That that conscious... That conscious yes. approach to we're going to change what's happening. We're going to we're going to make a shift. Yeah, the study also showed that positive uh, cognitive control uh, as well as stress reactions were noted following in the healthy individuals followed by ten minutes of yoga breathing practice. So even better after ten minutes, but five minutes is all you need to like drastically change what's going on in your body, mm-hmm. which I yeah. think is super cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Another study I found that was interesting was voluntary heart rate reduction following yoga using different strategies. So this one was a little bit different. It was for someone more in there, like the main study group was people in their middle ages and, you know, between 30 and 50. Um, And they were assessed on two different days. So each trial was for 12 minutes and there was a pre-state and a during state that were six minutes each for both trials the pre-state was relaxation with the eyes closed in the during stage of trial one subjects were asked to voluntarily reduce their heart rate using a strategy of their choice so i would just say to you steven make your heart rate slower go for it and you would do whatever felt right to do that in the moment the second group was asked to use breath regulation and they presented them with a few different options but basically just the breathing techniques we were talking about would fall into that category the difference was fairly negligible the first group that just calmed their heart rate in whichever way they thought was right uh, reduced their heart rate with an average of 19.6 beats per minute which is pretty significant when you think about like what what an average heart rate is is going to be below 100 that's Mm -hmm. that's significant Uh, But the people who practiced breath regulation exclusively um, decreased 22.2 beats per second, so per per minute, sorry. So that's a difference of like two and a half beats per minute. It's negligible. It's a super negligible difference. So I like to find studies that make challenge the way I'm thinking. and, And this shows that deep breathing in yoga is not necessarily the answer to everything. But I think the other thing that shows is that we know what to do to calm ourselves down. We intrinsically, inherently know how to lower our heart rate really successfully. Oh, okay. Yeah, like yeah. it's something that's ingrained already. Yeah, and I think it's about trusting your instincts. And I think I even said this when I was teaching tonight. Like, you know what your body needs. You absolutely know what your body needs. It's just everything about our lifestyles conditions us to ignore that and, and okay. shove that down. And so I think a lot of our yoga practice is about listening to those things that are being said in our body and, and giving into them and doing what our bodies are telling us we need without ignoring them. I just want to make one final point that sort of dovetails off that. Your breathing is something you do a lot. It's a really comforting thing. You know how to breathe. You know how to inhale. You know how to exhale. In your darkest, darkest moments, you're still breathing. So at the end of the day, if you are wanting to make small changes in your body, changing your breathing subtly is a really good way to do it. It's not like you're doing something brand new. I'm not 
asking someone that just walked into the room to do a handstand. I'm asking them to make their inhale a little longer, make mm-hmm. their exhale a little yeah. deeper. So it's really grounding because it's a familiar activity. It's something you know really easily how to do. You're familiar with mm-hmm. this. It's not new. Yeah, it's very manageable. Absolutely, yeah. So keep that in mind that changing your breathing is a really grounding practice uh, as long as you're doing it in a way, a mindful way that's right for your body. And I think I just want to add, uh, close out this episode with a quote from Swami Shivananda, which is, a yogi measures the span of life by the number of breaths, not the number of years. So take your life one breath at a time and enjoy the ride. Okay, excellent. No, we covered a lot of really good stuff today. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, and as always, if you guys have any questions or you want to hear us expand on any points or talk about something different, let us know. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night.